0: There we go, finally worked. Sorry about that, everyone. I tried like 40 different times to make this thing work. We are starting a little late because there were tech issues, but that should not stop us. Today is uh, Wednesday, January 21st. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the promotional malpractice live chat. Again, apologies for the late start. It was some tech issues that uh, I can't control because I use Google software. Today on the docket we have Mirko Krokop signing to The UFC, we have Kimbo Slice signing to Bellator. We have, let's see, um, how about this Saturday? UFC on Fox 14, Gustafson versus Rumble, and a bunch of other fights on that card as well that are worth sort of paying attention to. Uh, And um, we also have to talk about a few things that happened from over the weekend. Now, I don't want to rehash the Monday Morning Analyst stuff too much, but um, the numbers just came out for the ratings for UFC uh, Fight Night 59, headlined by Conor McGregor versus Dennis Seaver. They are amazing. They are amazingly good numbers. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, and anything you really want to talk about. So best place to do that, of course, is in the comments section on MMAfighting.com. You may also reach out to me on Twitter, at SBN Luke Thomas um, to kick that off. Couple of disclaimers up front. And by the way, if you're watching this, get on whatever social media channel you're on to, uh, you know, Spread the word, so Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest or Google+, Plus or I don't know, whatever you want to do. Get on forums and share this link, so I appreciate that. By the way, I'm drinking coffee today and not soda, because I know some of you seem to deeply care about that. A couple of announcements up front that I want to make that I didn't get to last week that are kind of important. Number one, two weeks ago, somebody asked me about whether or not, or excuse me, they asked me, why is it? when a round clock that's counting down from five minutes to the end of the bell, why does it go off screen when there's 10 seconds left? And I had heard something and I repeated that information initially two weeks ago and it was totally wrong. So I had people who reached out to me who had good information. I went and then verified that with other people in the TV industry. The reason why this is the corrected information the reason why the 10 second clock goes off the screen or rather i should say when it gets to 10 seconds from five minutes on down the reason why is because the clock that they're using on the production at tv side it may not necessarily match the same one that they have at ringside it's unofficial and they don't want there to be any confusion about the bell and the clock on the tv not adding up and then folks getting all upset about it So they take it off. It's a rough approximation. Think of it as the same thing where when you watch NFL football, they have a projected first down marker. It's unofficial. It's not the real one. It's pretty close. It's pretty good. It's usually pretty accurate, but it can be off at sometimes. Something like that. I wanted to make sure that I corrected the information and I spoke to to some of the folks at Fox about it, and I got some good info. So that's the real reason why. Number two. Um, there's a lot of questions we'll get to about Mirko and Kimbo and Mulawal going up to heavyweight. There's a lot of good information to get to. But I wanted to start things off a little differently today. And this won't go 20 minutes. I'll make this just a couple of minutes. But I wanted to kick things off today with like a really positive note because I was thinking about it last night and it was just on my mind. And you just you you have to give it to them because it's kind of important that you give it to them. It's not just a matter of that, well credit where credit is due. It's like this needs to be said. This, is, this will help benefit the conversation, I think. Not if I say it, but then if we all say it. And I'll do my part in saying it, and hopefully you do yours as well. Dude, the UFC and Conor McGregor are making magic together. They're making magic together. This is how it is supposed to look. Now, obviously, you're talking about a once-in-a-generation kind of, not so much talent, we don't know about that yet, but it certainly has a charismatic figure these guys don't come around very often i think we can can say that we don't really know as much as we should about his talent we'll get to that point in just a minute but in terms of like catching a guy on the way up and facilitating that growth the ufc and conor mcgregor are i mean this is what the handshake is supposed to look like you won't really find many up many times where it works better than this You know, look, I think the the UFC machine, there's a lot of really, not a lot of, negatives. there's some criticisms to make about it. No system is perfect. There's a lot of positive things to say about it. This is an illustration of how it works best. A lot of people, there's like a hair on the screen here. It's driving me nuts. A lot of people want it to be, hey, UFC, turn this water into wine. And the machine can do a little bit to help that, but really not much. It's not what it's built to do. It's It's not, I don't know if it's even really possible. That's not what the machine is set up to really do. But what it is set up to do is let's take someone around where there's natural enthusiasm, there's some ability there, and let's help slingshot the guy even more. Let's grease the, 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 the wheels. That's what it does. That's what the machine helps do. So you can have this argument you want about, well, if we take the totality of what Conor McGregor is bringing to the table and then the totality of what UFC is bringing to the table and you add it together, and that's 100% of all resources and effort and everything else. This is the complete set of information and, and, and resources and power and everything else that's being brought to, to the forefront to make this relationship work. Who's doing more? You can make the case that Conor McGregor is doing more. A lot of the arguments about making stars sort of sort of – challenge the idea that it's even possible that a star makes themselves and it's true that a, it is incumbent upon the fighter I think to generate the most interest but I just want to point out like for all the times which people say why are they doing this for the flyweights and um, why aren't they giving this guy the proper matchmaking and shouldn't this guy deserve more attention here is a scenario where they did all of that correctly all of that correctly what could you possibly complain about for Conor McGregor at this point the dude is bawling out of control the UFC is doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing and everyone is doing it with excellence there's nothing to complain about anymore I'm mean, I, okay there's virtually nothing to complain about anymore virtually nothing like on the UFC side of things what could you possibly say, oh, they were unfair to Dennis Seaver? Dennis Seaver is a credentialed mixed martial artist who has been in the UFC for years. He has fallen short against the best guys. He does have, in some ways, relative to the best, a limited skill set, but has... Dude, he's a legit fighter. Like, for all the talk about what CM Punk is or isn't or might be or could be, here is Dennis Seaver. This is what a world-class mixed martial artist looks like on some level. And he was handled With ease. With ease. And you could say whatever you want about the matchmaking. I think there was a lot of phony optimism when MMA was super hot about the things you could get away with. Some of the tricks that boxing pulls, where you give a guy you give a guy fights he can win, you give a guy maybe maybe a tougher fight he can win that, but then maybe favors the style matchup, and you build something there. I think that is a is a time tested practice that MMA kind of rejected on some level that they're just kind of warming up to because it works. It works. It totally, totally works. I don't mean it makes you think something is false, but it certainly helps propel a guy to a level where you bank on their, your talent growth while you build upon natural enthusiasm and you put them all together. And this is, this is how it's supposed to work. This, this is what the full-on excellence of handshake is supposed to look like, and there's a lot of, like, BS hemming and hawing about it, about we were unfair to Dennis Seaver. You know what? They pulled 2.75 million average viewers on Fox Sports 1. Good. Good. I'm glad they went in all, all in on Conor McGregor. I'm glad they did. You know why? Because it was a it's like the most classic Zufa move. Let's make a bold move. Let's have it be partly a gamble. Let's have it be a calculated gamble. They don't just make crazy bets, but let's have it be a calculated gamble, and let's see if it pays off. You know what? Fortune favors the bold. Fortune favors the bold, and this is such a clear indication that they did, in my judgment, everything they could possibly do right. Now, do they go a little bit overboard with, you know, McGregor is the uh, Irish Ellie? I mean, that's just so insane. It doesn't even deserve comment. I mean, I'm, I'm that, that's it. It's, it's such a ridiculous thing to say. We don't need to spend any time on it. But really, even if they had never said it, it wouldn't matter. In fact, that may have detracted a little bit. I don't think it really brought any extra viewers. What did was the timing of the show and piggybacking and giving him the right fights along the way and 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 making him do Q&As. I'm not making him, but certainly getting him to do Q&As in Brazil and also Conor McGregor just sort of being who he is naturally and saying the things that he did and also his willingness to do the, the kinds of long hours of media and his willingness to to, to be somebody that, that has a captivating thing to say in front of a camera. And moreover, this is the part about Conor McGregor that drives me crazy. Now, if you are out there and you are saying Conor McGregor is some sort of fraud waiting to be exposed, boy, I have to tell you, these guys in the UFC sure are taking a long time to expose this fraud, aren't they? They sure are taking a long time. Dennis Seaver landed a couple of good punches. And there's things to like acknowledge about some of the deficiencies that McGregor showed. But like this argument that he's not some elite world-class fighter is insanity. It is insanity. Whatever he was when he fought Marcus Brimage, he is much better now. He is not some static thing that's been paraded out once every couple of months, or I know he had the year off when he had the the ACL injury. who's just been paraded out and brought back. Like he's not really doing the kind of training necessary. He's not really improving at a rate. It's been a calculated gamble the whole time, the whole time with the right amount of matchmaking. The Brimage fight was a right amount, was a right fight. So was the Holloway fight, which he fought with the torn ACL. So was the Poirier fight. So was the, God, I can't remember the third guy he fought now. I lost my mind on it. Um, oh, uh, Brandau. All of these, and Brandau was an injury replacement, so that may have been less than ideal, but still told us a little bit. That doesn't mean that all the questions have been answered. No, that's not what we're saying, but we're saying enough questions have been answered to definitively declare he is an elite world classifier. Could you, what, what, what could you say that he's like, oh, I know for a fact he's not top five in the world? He looks pretty top five to me. He's got a lot of ability, a lot of ability. Conor McGregor can bang. <laughs> Conor McGregor will knuckle you up quick at that weight class. He will put redness on your face like that. Takedown defense, I thought was okay, but I thought his hip mobility underneath was great. I think his spatial awareness is as almost as good. I think he has some defensive liabilities. I want to see how he does against a guy who just sort of relentlessly stays on him from a takedown pressure standpoint. But I think I think we are. We, we if anyone is out there telling you, oh, he's doing antics, and I don't like that, and I don't find it appealing, and and he's just you know we're waiting to expose this fraud. This is the last refuge of the desperate. This is the last refuge of the desperate. I personally don't even find what he says to be, like, entertaining or interesting. I find, I'll be honest with you, I find the songs that his fans sing in the crowds annoying to listen to. uh, When he doesn't pronounce the letter H, it kind of drives me crazy. Who cares? Who cares? These are, like, personal hang-ups that I have that are subjective that mean nothing. That mean absolutely nothing. We have waited for so long for a guy to come along and... To be talented and to be special and to be somebody who can get you invested in the process. And he has done all of that. And along the way, the UFC from a matchmaking standpoint did every sort of move basically correctly. And when he needed attention, they they the UFC, like if they have to spread their their resources out over a lot of guys, it really has some guys will come through and and it'll help here, it'll help there. I'm not saying it doesn't help. But what they're what they excel at is training the guns on one thing, and when they do that, kaboom, kaboom. I had people tweeting me being like, "Well, I can't wait to how you feel about Conor McGregor." Let me set the record straight on this. I think his fight with Jose Aldo will be competitive. That that still still has you know I think. will be a separate issue how he performs against the Lamas or Mendez. But again, by the time he gets to that in another year or so, whatever long it takes, that's another year of training he's going to get. By the time these wrestlers get their hands on him, it's not going to be the guy that fought Marcus Brimage. And yes, if you look at the losses that McGregor has had, they've been these quick submission losses where guys are sort of overwhelmed him all at once. I, I just think that guy is so long, dead, and over. If you don't like his personal antics and the things he says, they're not appealing to me either. Who cares? Who cares? This is the most interesting time of Conor McGregor, the moment right before he fights Jose Aldo. He is awesome for MMA. He is awesome for the featherweight division. He is awesome for Jose Aldo's career. He's an elite, world-class, no-BS fighter who does some things very uniquely, very special. You need to acknowledge as much and get ready because this dude is about to set some serious records for lighter weight fighters. What is there left to hate? And all this criticism, and I've been front of the line. I think my my record speaks for itself on UFC criticism. All this criticism about some of the ways in which guys have been improperly promoted. That doesn't go away. I still think that John Jones, and he partly he didn't do his part in the handshake. Again, the UFC machine works best with a handshake. Uh, But that's also a criticism of the machine itself that it's kind of narrow in that sense. But, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with how well they've done with Conor McGregor. Give the UFC credit. Give Conor McGregor credit, both as a promotional entity and as a legitimate mixed martial arts talent. When you are blowing out Dennis Seaver the way that he is and the manner in which he did, when you're doing leg weave, leg drag passes, sorry, gang, you have an elite world-class fighter on your hands. Fact. Fact. So all this nonsense I'm reading about McGregor is this and I'm waiting for him to get exposed. Yeah, yeah, guys, I <laughs> I'll wait for him to get exposed too. Boy, that train sure seems to be late, doesn't it? And by the time that the wrestlers show up, the Nick Lenses of the world and the Ricardo Lamas of the world and the Chad Mendezes of the world, and these are these are also legit world class talents. I do not dispute that in any capacity. They're gonna have to wait till this guy who is obsessed with getting better, who is obsessed with technique who is obsessed with turning himself into a fine-tuned weapon of combat sports action. They're going to have to wait in the, uh, probably another year to get that guy. Boy, good luck, because you're going to need it. There you go. I to get that clear. I want to make my position known about Conor McGregor. I want that out there, and I want to make sure the UFC gets the credit they deserve for this whole thing. Everyone, including me, doubling down on the, oh, you know, well, Why didn't they give Seaver a chance. Who cares? Really don't care. Sell what matters. Sell what's important. And at the end of the day, what I love about it is people who treat Conor McGregor like he's some slightly improved version of CM Punk. No, Conor McGregor can fight. He can absolutely fight. He is a technician. He is worthy of your adoration in that respect. And he is certainly worthy of being taken seriously. The the odds came out minus 180 Aldo plus 150 McGregor. That sounds about right to me. That's a closely contested bout. I favor Aldo to win. Um, there's a, a lot of issues with respect to Aldo that I think McGregor's going to have a hard time dealing with. But he's still young in his career, too. And Aldo's the best featherweight of all time. If, that, if, if you're that close to that guy, you're doing something right. So, with that said, let's get on to the questions. Just so everyone knows my position on Conor McGregor, there it is. I think he's a baller. I think he should get on board. I think this is one of the most interesting times in his career, maybe the most interesting. And the things he are doing, the things he is doing as a promotional entity, and 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 to a lesser extent, but still very important as a fighter. You know, uh, criticize them at your peril. All right. here first question Luke Lorenz Larkin impressed the pants off me Sunday night what do you think of him and what do you reckon he can accomplish at 170 also who do you think he should face next and if you found his win over Howard impressive what was it that impressed you the most um Certainly his hand speed was great. His general movement, I thought, was really dynamic and electric. You know, the way in which he could sort of like, the um, remi- Lorenz Larkin that was where he reminds me of those sharks. I think that's off the coast of South Africa. It's like one part of South Africa where all the, not, so, so you've seen those videos of the great white sharks that come out of the water and they fully explode out. Not all great white sharks do that. It's like a certain ones in a certain area that have been, you know, evolved over time to do that or learn to practice from each other or something. And they, they, in other words, they can build up for these really dynamic moments all for one go. He, he seems kind of – I feel like he's like that a little bit. I know it's an exaggerated example, but I just mean – I mentioned this on the Monday Morning Analyst. A lot of times guys cut weight so like, you know, Shinyauki cut down to featherweight. It was like, okay, you're a little bit bigger at this weight class, but he seemed to be giving up a lot to get down there. It wasn't clear that he was bringing his strength with him or certainly his endurance. And this fight ended quickly. You know, the the bout with John Howard, it didn't go very long. Maybe at 170 Larkin will have some issues too, but it looked like to me he was not giving up one thing for a net gain. He was just gaining. He was just shedding excess baggage, not just weight, but like things that weren't, like what was he holding on to that was improving his game there? You know, he still has a I wouldn't say his speed differentials as much, but it's still enough to get the job done. His power is fantastic and his movement is just so crisp and athletic at 170. He was moving like a cat, man. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot that I like about him at 170, but still a lot of questions to go again. What if someone stays on him as a wrestler? How does he look late into the round? Does he still make some bad mistakes? Does he get a little bit lazy? These are Lorenz Larkin has looked as good as he's looked bad. There's been a lot of ways to hang your hat on him, and then you know look like a fool for doing so. Um, we'll see what 170 corrects, but it seems to me this is just sort of like not just a net game, but um, an aggregate one in every way. Jones said he thought he would fail the test. I don't understand if the NFC wasn't supposed to be testing for cocaine. Why did Jones think he would fail the test? Probably because he has he assumed that they would test for that, even though they weren't supposed to. Um, yeah, Caged Potato. Any thoughts on Caged Potato's apparent end? Well, I don't. my understanding is it's not ending. It's that the guy who was the, uh, running it, Ben Goldstein, um, is no more. Now, why that's the case, I'm not entirely sure. Would the break media or defy have some view of what's happening there that they don't want to be in the MMA space as much? Or I, I don't know exactly. Anytime there's something like this, like, that, that uh, whether it's like corporate, not influence exactly, but corporate enthusiasm about what uh, you know a, a digital pro- uh, entity is doing, you really have to take that into consideration. So without knowing that, it's hard to say. Um, I don't have a clear view of their numbers either. I haven't looked at them. I think that would be something I would l- want to look at too. They were a bigger site, but you never know. I mean, it's, maybe they they did great numbers, but, again, what did Defy think of them was what they wanted. Um, you know, but I would say that, like, I don't think it's coming to an end that I know of. Uh, I think it's going to be changing leadership to some extent. What do they want to, you know, I think it's hard to run a site. I don't know that they're going to have a lot of full-time guys from what I can tell. I think running a site is – without full-time guys is probably pretty difficult. Um, but I think if you're asking me like what caged potatoes value is, I think in conversation in MMA between fighters, between media, between fans, when it happens on a public level, believe it or not, it is very political. People often don't say what they mean, or they say it in a way that is very disguised or built around, a, a, you know, said in a way to lessen the impact but still have some impact uh and cage potatoes sort of mostly i think rejected that idea they rejected the idea that we have to have these political conversations we should have honest conversations we should have honest ones about really important issues Um, and i think for the most part they did a lot of good work in that regard that to me is uh, what i'll hold on to about what they did and fingers crossed knock on wood what i hope they continue to do in the future uh time zone sleep and fighters kind of an odd question but how much of an issue do t- does time zone play into a fighter's sleep schedule what i mean is connor for example had his camp out in ireland which is five hours ahead so the main event went off around 4 30 a.m ireland looking in from the outside one would think this would put him at a disadvantage i think some fighters have a way of overcoming the um influence of circadian rhythm i think some don't i think some ways dialing back may be easier going forward may be harder in other words, there are six hours one way, six hours the other way could have a different impact. Um, I think that that is an issue as well. I think up to a point, maybe eight or nine hours, no matter which direction can be can be influenced. So I think it's a lot of factors. Personal biology, whether someone's a night owl, how if they're going backwards in time or forwards, um, when they're asked to perform. It's not a one size fits all kind of answer. But do I think it affects a fighter? Sure. Um how much and how often and in which circumstances, that's a little more difficult to answer. Uh, UFC Stockholm. I'm from Denmark and attending the UFC on Fox show in Sweden. I already bought tickets, and I will be in Stockholm two days before the fight. I want to experience everything from the weigh-ins to other UFC-related events. Is it possible to watch the press conference, open workouts, and meet the fighters? Uh, Check with UFC on their website, but I always say this. UFC does a lot of work. Sometimes the workouts are closed. Sometimes media day can be closed. Um, weigh-ins are almost, I mean, I can't remember the last time they didn't have a free weigh-in in a while. So um, to the extent that there are events in your city, and there should be even though Stockholm is cold and snowy, um, UFC does a good job of of enhancing the fan experience. So attend everything you can that's free. Try to find out where there are extra events going on, maybe meet and greets or uh, you know, guys who are there to help out fighters who aren't fighting, who can go to bars or clubs or things like that, and then try to get along there as well. But this requires a little bit of digging on your part. Um, but just go to the UFC uh, webpage, and, and they'll have some stuff for you there. Um, question a bit out of left field, but okay. Evolving your jiu-jitsu. What do you think is more important to evolve your jiu-jitsu? Some people say drilling is the most important thing, and you should do drill 90% of the time. What others say it's sparring. Um I doubt others really care unless you train, but I would say drilling 90% of the time seems crazy. i put it closer to 60, 40, 70, 30. But, you know, you don't train. Who cares? Um, Fighters taking notice of Conor McGregor and learning to better self-promote. After the hype and build-up to Sunday's fight, do you think more fighters will take notice of how McGregor has handled himself and actively try to promote and market themselves? I know UFC is all in with Conor, he personally has done a lot of work. I'm not taking. I'm not talking about memorizing old pro wrestling stuff or talking crap on fighters for the sake of doing it. But will more fighters understand that if they want to separate themselves from other fighters, they need to actively promote themselves beyond just their performance in the cage? Um. I think some of already have. I think that this is one of the situations. though, that like, like the lesson of Conor McGregor is not necessarily you should try to be Conor McGregor. The lesson can be understand who you are because. Everyone is asking us, shouldn't you just look at what Conor McGregor is doing and then realize you should better self-promote? It's one thing to have that realization. It's another thing to understand what that means. And it's another thing to understand if you're comfortable with it. There was a time when Ricardo Lamas, for example, said, I'm just i not going to do this kind of thing. And then he goes out and puts out this, you know, whatever was, a Conrad or something, McGillicuddy video. Um, And you can have your issues about the video. I'm not here to comment on that per se, but what I would say is. I mean, he was on the Sirius XM Five Club radio show. I asked him about it specifically if he was willing to to go to lengths to say things like that. He was like firmly adamant against it. And then he finds himself here today. And and in the end, that might help. If he can beat Chad Mendez on April 4th in Fairfax, Virginia, maybe it's that video or at least the the attitude that underscore uh, what, what the attitude that helped him decide to make that video that might propel him to the front. That's that's a better case scenario. But there are some guys that are just not going to have that ability. Do we really think that, like, you know, uh, everyone out there can naturally be a more engaging version of themselves? I don't know that that's really a true thing. Some guys just aren't marketable; they're just not. Some guys are more marketable, really, in the context of who they're competing against. Vermeers uh, Stavern just fought Deontay Wilder. You know, it worked for Stavern because. Wilder is like the opposite of who he is. And so when there's this contrast, you know, Wilder's this like loudmouth, shoot at the hip kind of guy, and he's got this big presence and he's got these big bold things to say. He's going to be interesting in many contexts, no matter what. But he can, he also looks interesting relative to Stavern, And more importantly, Staverne looks much more interesting relative to him. So a lot of it's going to be matchmaking. I just think this bold ideas about, Learn how to self-promote and be more than who you are. They're not bad ideas, but you really have to have some managed expectations and understand the mechanics of how this works. They may not know how to give more information in their interviews. It is partly a function of matchmaking. It's also what they're comfortable with and how far they're willing to go. And, and, you know, does it really matter? Do you really need Dennis Sieber to be more than who he is? Does that really change the division or MMA in any kind of appreciable way? The key is, for the guys, I think, who are capable of doing more and being more, it's more important for them. Uh, I'm not saying it's unimportant for other fighters, but it's much more important that guys at featherweight, let's say, like Chad Mendez, like Ricardo Lamas, like whoever else at the top of that list, it's much more important for those guys to try to do it, Right much more important for them uh, there's much more at stake there's much more to gain there's much more to lose You're, there's much more to leave on the table so if you want to focus your argument around that I think that to me is a little bit more uh, you know doable and interesting and important it's less interesting to me about you know this everyone should take the lesson well that's just that seems really unrealistic but maybe guys in a position of importance could maximize their exposure and potential huge bouts they're going to be in to really raise the already top level even more. That That's a much more, I think, a realistic thing and important thing to focus on. Who do you expect Crow Cop faces first in his return? Arlovsky, Barnett, Big Nog, someone even mentioned Gonzaga. He was talking about rematches. I don't know. I really don't care. Um, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm, you know, the guy's obviously a hall of famer as far as MMA goes. I don't mean to like be disrespectful in that way. Um, I just, don't, I don't know how to answer that. I really don't. It doesn't, it doesn't, um, I mean, look, MMA is one of these sort of sports where, uh, let me just tell you what I'm interested in. Okay. I am interested in in the elite prime side of mixed martial arts and then whatever is a talent pipeline into that. So, it doesn't you don't necessarily have to be Anthony Pettis, but if you're the elite camp and you've got a lot of promise and you're fighting on RFA, I am interested in you too. Right? You understand how that works? That's so so it doesn't matter if you're on prelims, it doesn't matter if you're not even in the UFC. As long as, and then sometimes it's hard to figure it out. I understand you're going to you're going to overinflate one guy, you're going to underestimate another guy. It's a discovery process, and discovery process has rabbit holes you run down that make no sense or wild goose chases. I get it, but I'm just trying to point out to you that that's that continuum is the one that makes sense to me. Um, I've never I've never understood, and it's just personally speaking, I've never understood how two elite athletes who are trained at world-class facilities with world-class specialists who contain world-class abilities. Fist fighting in a cage with very minimal rules is not a completely dynamic idea that needs very little saccharin added to it. That's just me. It's just me. And I realize, man, I'm not, you know, I realize it's just... uh I'm outvoted on this one, I guess, man, I'm totally outvoted on this one. Um, there's many more of you than there are of me. I I get it. I completely get it. I, I really get it. But when you're asking me like, who do I want or who do I think Coke going to face? It's like, I can't even put my brain in that space because it's, I just don't even think about MMA that way. At least not anymore. Maybe at one time I did, but not anymore, not anymore. Um, so i don't know i don't know um i'm not saying that they're not look they they're gonna book them on a card maybe free tv maybe pay-per-view and probably pay-per-view since they probably outbid F- bellator to get him. uh so in that sense he's probably a little more expensive than they would want they want to recoup their money they're gonna have to put them on there i don't know uh they could do big nog again because you know big Nog's trying to get out of the game this is a good way to help facilitate that and i'm saying nothing i'm saying uh Cop's gonna just easily beat him. but i mean you know Give him a fight that's a little more doable and manageable. Um, okay, fine. You know, uh, he has name value for sure, no doubt about it. Like I said, this guy's a you know, there's a real MMA Hall of Fame. He's first ballot Hall of Famer. Crocops' career is incredible. He's a credit to combat athletes everywhere, but he's not part of the conversation of elite and then pipeline up to it. It's just a, it's a completely separate part of the game. That if you like that part of the game, that's fine. I don't. Um, but it's, it's not this part, which is the, the the lifeblood, right? So with that being said, let's analyze the move for just a minute. Why is he here? Well, it's interesting about Bellator. People are like, well, Bellator's a competitor to UFC. And, and you have to really define what that means here, right? Because that Spike TV is much stronger than Fox Sports 1. So like part of the reason why the 2.75 million viewers, the average viewers for UFC Fight Night 59 is important is that uh, he did it on a much lower rated channel. Um, They did it with not a huge amount of supporting cast either, to be quite frank. Um, I mean, the co-main was good, but that's about it. Uriah Hall's, you know, he's on his way, but no one knew who Ron Stallings was, and you get the idea. Um, So so that's the key there. But they're in very different spaces, and here's what I mean. Would UFC have signed Mirko Krokop were Bellator not in play? In other words, if they weren't concerned about the ratings that Krokop could do, not like whether or not he's the best heavyweight on the planet, but if they weren't concerned about that, would they have signed him? Probably not. In other words, for me, uh, it makes a lot of sense for Bellator to want to go after him and to want to go for Kimbo Slice and these other names because they have a very limited roster. They have to do more creative things. Um to make it work, to make it work for them. And because Spike TV is such a powerful platform, they don't necessarily have to get the best fighters, although they need some for credibility's sake, but they can supplement it with big names who may be long past their prime and still do really, really well. Tito Ortiz versus Stefan Bonner's proof of this directly. Yes? Okay. If, but if that dynamic doesn't exist, does UFC sign him? There's there's no real credible argument to make. And I know people might point to the Satoshi Ishii wins as evidence of that. I would really ask you to rethink that pretty critically. Uh, I don't find that a very compelling argument. Um, so absent that, would they have done it? I have a hard time believing that. In other words, the way in which Bellator is a competitor to the UFC insofar as free agents are concerned, because we need to narrow this and specify the terms, Is that they get Bellator can force UFC to act in a way that Bellator would, that UFC would not normally do it. There's a dividing line, yes? I mean, I'm trying to illustrate the argument here. These are things Bellator would do because they have to and they need to, and it works for them, and they have less consequences, and they have, it's it's less significant for the sport, but good for the brand. That's this space. And there's things UFC will do in the same kind of way. But they have certain standards of excellence; they won't really um, go past in in holding up brand integrity. Uh, Bellator forces them to change that line, insofar as free agents are concerned, um, or at least you know aging free agents. The the, the Spike TV platform is—I mean, it's the, it's the home of MMA. Fact. It will—it's just the king. I don't know how else you can. Say. I don't know who could possibly say otherwise. Um the evidence is just so strong. You know, we got T Ortiz, Stefan Bonner in 2014 pulling over 2 million, 2.4 peak, and I think 2.2 average. Dude, I mean the argument's over. It's the king of MMA. Um, so that's that's I think what they get them to do. They get them to lower their standard for free agent acquisition um temporarily to undercut them. Smart business, you know. I understand why they do that. I get it. I'm not saying that the, the signing is like, where did this come from? I get it. I understand. But people are like, "Well, who's he going to fight next?" It's like, okay, I understand the business considerations involved. But when you when you strip out the context of the business consideration, then you just examine the signing. It's if you're interested in MMA in the way in which I am, and I think there are at least some other people like me. It's not the it's questions about like what's next. It's it's not. It just doesn't feel like a really important one that needs a a, a deep answer. All right, Luke. Do you think the UFC should consider more five-round fights than just title fights and main events? Yes, been saying this for a while. Absolutely, and you saw it in that Benson Henderson Donald Cerrone fight. I think sometimes guys should be able to do it. Now that would affect broadcast time. That would affect ways in which you package a show. But I don't know, like like the, the UFC. So it's though they're crazy sometimes because I mentioned at the top of the thing, like what's a classic UFC business strategy? let's look at an opportunity. Let's make a bold sweeping move. We'll do our homework on it. We'll make a bold sweeping move because it's a calculated one that could blow up in our faces. But if it works out great, it'll work out well. A lot of reasons to think it'll work out well. Let's do it. Boom. And like it hits for them so many times, so many times in their career, it's done that for them. And the growth of mixed martial arts and the growth of SUFA, it's big, but calculated moves that wind up going big for them. Um, i like to see them repackage their shows a little bit. You know what? Yeah, I mean, like, like did we, did Gleason Bow versus Norman Park need to be in the main card? Maybe you could have done, you could, I'm saying you could have had all the same amount of fights on the card, but then you could have started off things with your Ryan Hall versus Ron Stallings. And if that had gone that way, then you could have had another five and then another five. Or whatever, however long, the, you know, I know Connor versus Seaver was good for a fight. You know what I mean? Like, Showtime only did three bouts on their card for the, the wilder Stavern fight. You know, why why do you have to have two or three? Just have the ones that matter the most and what people care about. Just just do that. Just do that. So, um, and you know, give guys at this level the space they need to 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 do the kind of work they're capable of doing. If you've got guys who have like, especially Ben Henderson has been fighting five round fights forever, and he's going back to three, that's you know, it's is this the best use of him? I think it's a fair argument to make that maybe it's not, you know. I understand they want to make things special with title fights and so forth. I just think title fights carry their own significance. That Whether it's you know five rounds and this other one that wasn't title was not five rounds, I don't think it undercuts it in any way. I get why they're apprehensive about it, but ultimately I just don't find the argument that, well, this fight was five rounds, and it's for nothing but a co-main event and not even number one contender, and this one is a five-round fight, but it's for the UFC heavyweight title. Aren't we undercutting the value and what it means to have a title fight? No, no. The title fight is about those two guys and those two moments and the space in their career, how they match up, why they match up, where that fight is. It's about, it's about the dynamic of who they are and, and, the, and the dynamic in between them. It's really not so much about the rest of the trimmings. Trimmings help and they're kind of important, but it's, it's much more localized in that way. And it's, about the, it's about the significance of that title and, and number one versus number two or whatever the case may be. Would you say Gutherson versus Rumble this Saturday is one of the best, if not the best, non-title fight in the UFC? Um, I'd sort of say it's one of the best. Let's see how it goes in the end. You know, if it winds up being a a bad fight or a blowout or something, then you know, have to re, you know revisit that. But if you're asking on paper ahead of time, is this one of the better non-title fights the UFC can make. The answer is sort of unequivocally yes. They've made a lot of other good ones. You know, I think also Chad Mendes versus Ricardo Lamas will be a good one um Nick Diaz versus Anderson Silva is a good one. Uh, a lot of number one contender fights are, are really great. You got uh Johnny Hendricks versus Matt Brown. That has all the trimmings of excellence. Um, um You know, but you said n- the best non-title fight. That's, that that doesn't include main events. So how about Condit versus Hendricks? That was an awesome fight or you know, I can go on. I mean, you can go on forever can go on forever with tons of important fights that have happened. I mean, still one of my favorites of all time, Carl Parisian versus Diego Sanchez. I mean, if you've never seen that fight, you better get on Fight Pass and watch that. That's one of my all-time favorite fights um, because it was, it, was, it was peak Caro, it was Sanchez coming through uh, at a moment in, in his maturation. Sanchez is one of those guys I'm talking about like Conor McGregor. You saw him fight Riggs and then two, three, four fights later he's just not the same dude anymore. Or You saw him fight, fight Brian Gassaway. Now, he's sort of come back down to earth, but there was a moment, man, where Diego Sanchez was hot and was riding high, and that's, that's the fun part. Kimbo, what do you make of the signing of Kimbo life? So I mentioned that there's sort of two different like, spaces in which we operate when we're evaluating business decisions by, say, Bellator versus UFC, and you have to be real specific about how they match up and on what terms and what it all means. By the way, did you guys notice that UFC put out a press release saying they had aligned with, like I think, a company called EB Brands? Uh, they own Everlast. And did you notice that there's no Everlast gloves anymore at Strikeforce? It's not just they changed color. That's not Everlast anymore. There's no Everlast sponsorship, nothing. So it looks like Everlast. I don't know if they're going to make new UFC gloves. Remember, they had a new Uf- uh, new Bellator glove that had a bigger curve, so it's supposed to prevent eye pokes. I don't know if that's coming to the octagon or not. But uh, kind, of, kind of noticed that, by the way. Anyway, for Kimbo. But I mentioned sort of these different decision-level... Standards and and expectations and practices. People are always like, well, how come Bellator has a different standard? Because it's a completely different organization with completely different resources internally. And I don't mean money; I mean who they have on roster, for example. They just they can't be expected to do the same things. It just doesn't work that way. If they tried to ape what the UFC is doing, they would go out of business like that. So so that's not realistic. You like people are like, how come you you don't apply the same standard? Because you're not supposed to. I mean, there are certain things you could. You know, I, I suppose, at a really macro level that, you, that are you know, unforgivable or something like that. But, but you should evaluate them differently. They're in different positions. FICOM has a lot of money, and I think that confuses a lot of people. But these are not equivalent organizations. They're not remotely equivalent. They need to be – that's not the same. There's not criticisms to make of Bellator or, or World Series of Fighting or RFA or anybody else. It's just that you have to define it on the terms in which it makes sense for that level of the game. Right. It's very, very different. Um, So for Kimbo Slice, I think it makes a lot of sense. There are guys in Bellator he can fight, um, even though he's older. Uh, I don't think he's very good. But Bellator's brand is going to be, hey, let's have some fun. We're going to give you some world class fights. You know, we're going to give you Daniel Strauss versus Pitbull. No doubt about it. We got that for you. We're going to give you Georgie Karakanian versus um, Bubba Jenkins. No doubt about it. But we're going to give you Kimbo. And we're gonna. That's just part of the brand, you know. We're gonna we're gonna mix things up. We're gonna make it exciting. Um, I don't I don't really see much of the problem with it. The problem for me when I understand it, when I think of UFC, everyone's like, "Well, it's just a carny show." And I don't really see UFC as just a carny show with more money and better brand dynamics. It's it's a real thing that they're trying to do. At least on some level, they're trying to find out through, through a basic meritocracy. And you can take issues with the contours of it. Who's the best fighter in the world? Bellator's not in that game. It's not the game they're in. It's not the game they can be in. Um, They're in a very different game. They're going to give you world-class fighters, but they're also going to supplement it with just craziness. They're going to give you Joe Schilling versus Melvin Manhoff. Why? Because you can still sell credibility of talent between the two, um, and you can do it at a moderate price point, and you can do it while still having insane action. It makes a ton of sense. It makes a ton of sense. That's the thing that they're going to do. So everyone's like, why do you have a different standard for Bellator? Because you should. If you evaluate Bellator on the same wavelength, you evaluate UFC, you're just, you're just crazy. You're completely out to lunch. That doesn't mean they're you know above reproach, but make the criticisms make sense for what the brand is trying to do and where it's at. And I think the Kimbo's last signing, well, I, you know, I'm not like, do I care to see the fight? No. Like, did you guys see his boxing matches? They were terrible. Uh, I don't expect hardly anything. But – I understand they need to shake things up. I'm sure they're going to promote him expertly. And Kimbo Slice on, on, on Spike TV is a ratings bonanza waiting to happen. It will win. Fact. They can, and, and they can do the Houston Alexander rematch. They can give him all kinds of guys. So it works for them. It works for them. Would I be upset if UFC tried to undercut him to get it? Yes, I would. Because why is Kimbo Slice competing in an organization where the world's best fighters compete? That does not make sense to me. Understand what I'm getting at here? Pajares versus Shields. Paul Yarás, how you pronounce it? Who you got and how? I like Shields to win by a late submission. Um, I think that Shields is not going to get himself in the kind of trouble that people think he is. I think Shields is an underrated wrestler. I think Shields is going to really train leg locks the way he needs to. I don't think he's going to make the same foolish, aggressive mistakes. In part, when you, when you go back and you watch Fitch go against Paul Yarás you get a real distinct sense that he wasn't taking risks seriously. It was just my takeaway from John Fitch's performance in that fight is a lack of risk management. I really firmly believe that. Not saying that on a second try he couldn't do better or that he might not say this. I mean, he, maybe he has the same opinion. I don't know. I don't know. But if, it's, if we're just talking about that fight and that performance, it was an improper application of risk management on the part of John Fitch. I do not think... Jake Shields will have that problem. I think Jake Shields is underrated as a wrestler. I think Jake Shields, I think also that Paul if he can't really get you early, he kind of breaks. Uh, And I think that Jake Shields can put the pressure on you in ways that people don't take seriously. I think his mount is suffocating. I think his back mount is excellent. And I think his finishing instincts with submissions against a guy who can break if he can't get you on an early wave of attacks is very strong. I like Jake Shields to win that fight, but I like it to be, like every Paul fight, just a gong show early. Luke, I heard you say on the Monday Morning Analyst Show that Connor's takedown defense was not that great, but did a good job of getting back up. The truth is that Connor was not taken down once, according to Fightmetric by Seaver, because his back and butt never touched the ground. Now, before I explain to you what that means or what my actual opinion on this is, um, here's what Fightmetric says about their takedowns. Quote, Fightmetric's methodology for judging takedowns is this. Did the aggressor earn a clearly advantageous position over his opponent on the ground for an appreciable amount of time? In the case of the GIF above, and it's one of Seaver, if you're just listening to the audio component of this, it's one of Seaver. He's getting his hands behind the knees of McGregor and kind of plumping him over, but then McGregor pops back up. So in the case of the GIF above and in all of Seaver's attempts on Sunday night, we're going to go with no. We also didn't award Cerrone with a third-round takedown of Henderson as Henderson landed on all fours and popped right up without Cerrone ever establishing any kind of controlling position. We don't judge takedowns based on any other rule set or methodology but our own specifically built to gauge the effectiveness of various techniques in an MMA match. So, for example, they also scored the takedown, the slam that Cormier had on John Jones. I don't think that was a takedown, but by their methodology, it was. By wrestling, by how I would apply in real wrestling, it was not a takedown. But, again, for their, this is their, It's listen, it's their system. Um, we've often been criticized for being too stingy with takedowns, knockdowns, and submission attempts. We stick to our guns on what is we, what we need to do. Now, the one above was not one of the better ones because uh, uh, Seaver never really got his hip to the floor. There's another att- uh, attempt where he does get that ever so briefly, um, and then of course Conor McGregor does a great job hopping up. But here's my point to you: it's not that he stuffed the takedown right up front and got away, where he was they were he never had to get to this space. What I'm trying to point out to you is he had difficulty. Dennis Seaver had success on the level change portion of the takedown. I think that much needs to get acknowledged. The finishing after the level change, not so much. The control of the hip after the level change, not so much. The change in the angle on the takedown to really turn him over and get him off balance, not so much. Those things are a credit to Conor McGregor. But Conor McGregor, twice by a guy who wrestles as well as Dennis Seaver, which is good but not great, got faked out twice on a level change. So the criticism that um, he has, well, he, there was no takedowns. Guys, you gotta look a little bit closer. Against a wrestler like Chad Mendez or Ricardo Lamas, that's a bit of a red flag. But to Conor McGregor's defense, he got up right away. And his ability to rotate out of it and stay on his hands and not let his hips touch and get his legs free. These are all things that you can say to Conor McGregor's defense. I am not saying that, that, that Mendez or Llamas are going to go in there and just have their way with him. What I am saying is he got faked out twice on a level change by Dennis Siever. You need to acknowledge it. You need to acknowledge it. It's right there on plain sight. In the end, how much that means, we still have open questions about it. A lot of reasons to think that another wrestler would have more success. A lot of reasons to think that they might get him down, but how much is it really going to count? Okay, so, so, they, so they get the takedown, and they secure his hips. He still gets up. 15 seconds later. That might all be the case. That might be very well true. But you just need to accept what portion of the takedown worked for Dennis Seaver. He got McGregor kind of standing up straight a little bit. He got him. And to that point, kind of connected on a couple of punches for the same thing. A lot of what McGregor does in a really truly excellent way is dishing out offense. Now, again, his scrambling here I think is underrated. That's another thing about about, about, uh, McGregor. His scrambling is fantastic really athletic scrambling is what i like about it technical and athletic but he kind of stands up straight a little bit um he's got some defensive issues i think they're i think the if he had defensive issues i don't know if you can see me or not if he had defensive issues against uh uh brimage that were like this and then like holloway and then brandow and then see you know what i mean it's, it's going like that they're going away don't get me wrong. I'm not, not trying to tell you otherwise, but just understand the level of what we're talking about here. Um, so, yeah, he did get faked out in the level change, and he, that's why he had to fight out of the position the way he did. He didn't just automatically get his hips down, bang, to the mat, circle out, and there was nothing to do. I think maybe one time he got that. Um, he, had to fight out of, he had to fight out of him. So very effective, but what you're looking for there is not what Dennis Seaver did. It's what Dennis Seaver maybe showed that a better wrestler might be able to take advantage of. And someone mentions that he has incredible balance. Yes, he does. Conor McGregor is an athlete, dude. Conor McGregor is an athlete. Oh, here we go. Uh, Again, this is the guy from Fight Metric. I love this guy. MJC flipped the script. So he goes, well, I have your attention. Let me talk to you about the slam takedown we gave Cormier in the fifth round against Jones. The only reason we called it a takedown was because it had the force of a slam. Oh, I see. In that circumstance, we have to ask ourselves a question. If Jones hits his head on the mat from that slam and was knocked out, what would be the method for the finish? It would have been a slam, and slams are grouped in with our takedown statistic. He obviously didn't get knocked out, but we have to play the result. Any rule set has to be followed through as consistently as possible. We're not perfect, but perfection is the goal. As a fan, I get what you're saying about the reluctance of calling that a takedown, but we're not scoring this stuff like judges would at a wrestling tournament. Fair enough. All of our stat definitions are made to score effectiveness in an MMA setting. Uh, I, I, I need to go back and watch it before I comment, but I want to read your comment and have the correction out there. Aldo versus McGregor. I see this fight being similar to Machida Hua style-wise, but I think Aldo is much more defensively skilled than Hua, but I think McGregor is less polished in all areas than Machida. okay. Given that, I think McGregor will hold his own early, but Aldo's leg kicks and combinations will win the fight for him Thoughts? Here is, I don't see it as Machida Hua. I actually see it a little bit closer to Diaz versus Condit. That's what I see. Now, some of you might go back and say, well, that fight sucked. Is Aldo and McGregor going to suck? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm I, Take your, uh, whether you like the result, out of it. Whether you hated the result, out of it. Whether you thought the fight was exciting, out of it. Strip that out, and let's talk about what this portion of the fight means. Meaning, I think McGregor is going to walk forward and apply a lot of pressure. I think Aldo is going to let him do that and counter him, because I think Aldo has better defensive movements, can cover ground quickly, defensively, at proper angles, and I think is quicker than McGregor. I think he's a slightly quicker, I don't know if he's a better athlete overall, but I do think, especially early, he's going to be a much quicker, more explosive athlete. McGregor's very athletic, but I don't know if he's as explosive as Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo can get in and out of space very quickly, and he really takes defense about getting hit much more seriously. McGregor kind of gets hit a little bit more than he should. I'm not saying he gets hit a lot, but... I don't think that if you really want to talk about what's remarkable about Conor McGregor's game, it's the one-way action of offense. Not to say his defense sucks. I'm not saying that. But if you want to talk about Jose Aldo's game, it's a little bit more defensively oriented. It's a defense-oriented game. Just relative to McGregor, he takes defense pretty seriously. doesn't like getting hit. Now, in the Mendez fight, that was a little bit out the window. I get that. But... um, you get the idea. I think their power is going to be probably mostly equivalent. Maybe McGregor has a better one. I don't know, but maybe not. Um, I think people have talked about the leg kicks of Jose Aldo. This is what I'm talking about. I think he's going to hit and get out of the way. Hit and get out of the way. Hit and get out of the way. I think <clears throat> as he tries, McGregor's going to touch him up and maybe slow him down. I just think over time, the chipping away at Aldo, by, that Aldo does, if in fact he does do that, that's what's going to win him. But McGregor's chin's pretty good. Um, His resolve is pretty good. I think the way he's going to pressure Aldo will also have moments where he's going to be looking good because that's going to be a tiring thing to get out of the way of. Aldo and McGregor both cut a lot of weight to get down there. Um, And Aldo, I don't know if he's had cardio issues in the fifth round, but it's not exactly like he looks like he does in the first. So that's what I think. That's how I kind of see it. I see Aldo playing a little bit like a matador, hitting him and then getting out the side – Door uh, in the process. Interestingly enough, if you go back and met, you go back and look at uh, McGregor's losses, they they happen them with these quick like submission sort of things. Now, one was like the you know um, a goofy loss to a leglock guy out of Lithuania that um, Artem I can't remember his name now, but uh, there's the fights on YouTube. You can go see it. Um, you know, I don't suspect that'll happen. I don't think I don't think Aldo going to rock him and then jump on a head and arm triangle or a a, a knee bar. Although You know, Aldo's capable of doing that to anybody on the right day, but all things being equal, I don't see that being the likeliest outcome. But to me, I would look for a much more exciting version of Condit versus Diaz. I think that is kind of what you're looking at. Starting an MMA website. Don't do it. (laughs) I've thought about starting an MMA website that focuses on MMA in general, but also on Danish MMA, which uh, which is the country I'm from. What advice do you have for me? Uh, Jesus. Um, That's a difficult one. You need to give Danish fans everything they're looking for and then cover the sport generally as it's supposed to be covered. That's what I would say. You can't do one or the other. Um, You have to do both, and that's very difficult to do. Uh, All right, rate these upcoming cards, the UFC pay-per-view cards, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being totally stacked, and 1 being a missable event. I'll do it differently because this is what I do in the Monday morning analyst. I'll do four stars four just being like unbelievably epic. Like UFC 100, I would give that, I would give that four stars. Okay. Pay-per-view main card anyway. Um, anything two and a half and above you consider good. So two and a half, three, three and a half, four, that's all good. Two is like, eh, anything below two is like bad. So UFC 183, you got Silva Diaz, Woodley Gastelum, Iacinta versus Luzon, Lytes versus Boach, Mian versus Alves. Absent the main event, that is not a pay-per-view worthy card relative to other pay-per-view cards on here. Uh, Main event obviously changes that pretty substantially. So I'd give that, I'd give that, I don't know, because the main event is so good, I'll give it two and a half. But absent the main event, certainly two or less. Uh, UFC 184, Weidman versus Belfort, Rousey versus Ngannou. Ellenberger versus Koscheck, Holm versus Pennington, Ferguson versus Medeiros. I would give that two and a half, maybe three. 185, Pettis versus Dos Anjos, Esparza versus Yajicic, Hendricks versus Brown, Nelson Overeem, sahuto Carriazo. Easily three, if not three and a half. That's your best one right there. Dillashaw Baral, Rory Lombard, Rampage, Maldonado, Bisping, Dalloway, Cote, Cote Riggs. Yeah, got give it two. I still believe that Jake Shields is a top 10 welterweight. Do you agree? And who in the UFC welterweight top 15 do you think he could beat? I don't have the rankings in front of me. Let's take a look at them. I never look at rankings anymore unless I'm doing this chat. So I have a hard time. uh, Okay. So here's the top 15 at welterweight. Ryan Laflair, Gunnar Nelson, Jordan Meehan, Rick Story, Jake Ellenberger, Don Hyun Kim, Tarek Safadine. Demian Maya, Kelvin Gastelum, Matt Brown, Hector Lombard, Carlos Condit, Tyrone Woodley, Rory McDonald, Johnny Hendricks. I think he could beat a lot of those guys. Um, LaFleur certainly. Gunnar Nelson maybe. Jordan Meehan, I, I, I would favor. I would favor Nelson, or I would favor um, Shields. Rick Story maybe not so much. Jake Ellenberger certainly. Dunkyung Hyun Kim definitely. Um, Tarek Safadine, maybe. Demian Maya maybe. They already fought, you know. Um, Kelvin Gastelum maybe not. Matt Brown maybe not. Hector Lombard no. Carlos Condit maybe. Carlos Condit, Tyrone Woodley he already beat. So you can see. Um, there's lots of questions about how we fix bad judging. Um, and everyone's like, "Oh, I've got an alternative point system." I don't really think your point system is going to fix. Bad judgment. Uh, here's what I would want to do for now. All right. So like, in other words, there may be an alternative system that is better. I don't present to you the 10 point must system is like the, this is just a fantastic system operated by a team of, you know, uh, monkeys or something. I, I, I don't, I'm not saying that. What I would say though, is we need to, like a study should be done, and this could be done like at a university or anywhere. Um, a study needs to be done on the effect of judging a fight in a live scenario. So here's what I mean. Like, how how could it possibly be the case that Cajal Pendred beat Sean Spencer? Like, how is that, how is that even possible? Because it happened. And he got a 3027 scorecard, I think on one if not two of the judges scorecards. How is that possible? He got rocked in one of them in one of the rounds. Like he easily lost that round. Even if you think it's 29-28, which is still a bad scorecard. But even if you think that, how do you get 30-27? How is that possible? Okay, that is something where you where you look at it and you say, This scorecard is so outrageous. How could a different system fix that? Now, maybe it fixes one where it's like, you know. We, we have a clearer criteria to figure out Henderson versus Cerrone. Okay, maybe, you know, because that is a little more difficult to judge and maybe if you had really clear criteria about what was what, you could do it. You know, I could envision a scenario where that happens. How do you fix that? How do you fix 3027 Pendred over Spencer with a, just a different system? Unless the system is so rigidly, narrowly defined um, that it just doesn't allow for any kind of poor judgment I mean, as long as you're making judgment calls in an abstract way, uh, I don't see how you do that. And I think you really need to focus on what judging is. You know, it is a lot of these guys are trying to reason through that. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. But the key to this is that like, think about other things that are judged court cases or, um, dancing with the stars or american idol or cooking competitions or what, what affects what affects that personal bias strength of the competitor strength of the product itself that's being turned in but also there must be tons of other external factors that go into how results are made in situations like that right like it can't be that we have this disparate like people at home didn't didn't score thirty twenty seven penred and no one of any credibility whatsoever did anybody who's covered i think I think you watch the media scores they're all like at least twenty nine twenty eight Spencer if not all thirty twenty seven Spencer okay so what's happening here? People have talked about different factors number one audience participation in this like it can't be the case that this guy uh Who was this hometown favorite was born there, uh, had this huge Irish contingent cheering on everything he did that was remotely good. And that doesn't affect a person. And I don't even mean like in a direct way where they're they're thinking, I'm going to I'm going to weigh audience participation in this guy's favor. No, like subconsciously, how does a human being remove themselves from that? I don't know that I don't I, I think we need to measure that. I think we need to measure, is there something to the idea that, among many other things, we have to worry about, the fact that you have somebody who has a cheering section for everything they do in a roaring way affect a judge's ability to make uh, informed choices about what's happening here? Has to be. Has to be. That or you're just dealing with the most incompetent people. I know in the case of Doug Crosby you are, but... um, there's two of the judges there, right? So I guess what I'm trying to say is we should sort of figure out a list of things that influence a judge in real time cave side that doesn't seem to have an effect outside. If you're watching something on an HD screen from your from your home, why do you get a different result than if you're watching the actual product? In an arena cage side, is it just the angle from the HD screen? Is it is it just the crowd participation? Is there something else that's a fact? We've never really made a firm list of those things, and because judges never talk, we don't really have a good grasp on what they're thinking about and what factors they, that influence them. Anyway, uh, maybe uh, you know, not having stats would change your your you know because we see stats in real time at least on the on the screen i just feel like judging i just here's what i'm saying i don't feel like we have an accurate grip on all of the things that factor into what a judge decides that is unique to their experience in a physical way because i think we are we are such a product of, of the high def information thing when and we're having conversations on twitter about it and people might be influencing you they're, they're just stewing in their own mind about things. And then they're hearing the crowd roar for you know, Pendred's takedowns. And maybe it's across the cage and they're not using their monitor and they're supposed to be. All these things sort of bleed in. They all bleed in. And maybe once we understand that, then you can say, well, this system is just broken or here's a way to fix what's happening with this. Hey, these factors are influencing judges. How do we, how do we mitigate those effects? And once you do that, maybe you can decide, okay, once we've decided that, we can either scrap the system or adjust the system or do something else about it. But just being like, well, you know, let's just get a new system. It's like, no, they got a 3027 on this system. That shouldn't be possible. And if it's not possible that a rational person can do this, how did it happen? Um, True or false, the UFC breaks into or returns to the following markets in 2015. New York... I'll say false. Philly, I'll say true. Washington, D.C., I'll say false because Fairfax doesn't count. They're two different markets. Uh, Baltimore, false. Atlanta, maybe true. Houston, probably true because it's a big market there. St. Louis, probably false. Louisville, probably false. Kansas, probably false. Twin Cities, probably false. Seattle, maybe true. Portland, maybe. Germany, uh, I know they're working on it, but I don't know if 2015 is going to be that year. Poland, probably not. Russia, probably not. India, no. Philippines, I know they wanted to in June of last year. I know that uh, Brandon, before he was cut, Brandon Vera and Mark Munoz were consulted about it. South Africa, probably not this year. Puerto Rico, maybe this year. And South America, other than Brazil, maybe not this year, but definitely 2016. Did I think the Ricardo Lamas video was funny? I thought there were a couple of jokes that made me chuckle. The part where he was relieving himself at the beginning of the video was juvenile, but... I'm not above juvenile humor sometimes. Um, Luke, what is Conor McGregor's ceiling? Is it just me or am I the only one who thinks he fights way better than he talks? It's a good question. I don't think we've seen it. I don't think we've seen it by any stretch of the imagination. I think, again, everyone has this like fixation about Conor McGregor like, oh, he just talked his way to get there. Are you blind? Are you blind? Like, if you took someone who, for some reason, was in a prison, but before that was, like, you know, loved MMA and watched MMA, was, like, an MMA aficionado, and you pulled him out and you, and you somehow put it on mute, you know, okay, McGregor, you know, was clapping his hands at, at Seaver, so he kind of lets you know he's a bit of a showman. But if you imagine, imagine you're someone who, like, was an expert in MMA but for some reason just knew nothing about Conor McGregor. And you could find a way to show him the fight, but without background audio, like, the crowd going crazy. And you just showed him the fight, him or her, whatever. That person's going to come back to you and be like, "Jesus Christ, this dude can fight. This guy is amazing. I want to see him fight this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy." You know what I mean? Anybody who'd be like, "Look at this fraud. What are are you high?" Conor McGregor can fight his ass off. He's really good, really good. One of the best in his weight class in the world. Fact. Sorry, he just is. It's not. It's not an up for debate anymore. Now, how good? Top one, top two, top three, top four. I don't know. We got to figure that out. But he's right. I mean, he. I mean, he's right up there. He's right up there. And this was the other part that I thought was kind of funny. Everyone talks about how he does the talking and like you know he did the thing like that with Dustin Poirier and he does a lot of theatrics. I think he. I think he's fundamentally turning a corner because he does other things that indicate a seriousness about the game that is impossible to overlook. Making 145 when he didn't have to, I think, by the way, is just baller, number one. But more than that, he I, I've mentioned this on this chat all the time, this dude does not get credit for being a technician. He does not get credit for, for – taking seriously the idea that it's not magic when you win. I mean, yes, he has these visions of greatness or whatever, but he also sees himself um, on a mission. And part of that mission is getting your ass in the gym and struggling. Like, what did he say to Ricardo Lamas? Like, you. I mean, he was insulting him for eating pizza. I don't care about that. But, like, just examine the nature of the insult. Like, get in the gym. Go get better. That's almost an internal dialogue about what he's having about himself. Not in the angry, I'm upset at you way, but like he understands all that is there for him and he's going to do it, but it, it will happen through SBG day in and day out and training with Gunnar Nelson and bringing in other guys and whatever else he does and strength and conditioning and all that and all the extra stuff he sort of incorporates into his game, all the novelties, all the things he does that other guys don't do and all the sort of the views he has as movement, as unlocking the you know human potential through physics all that stuff he, everyone sort of talks about him like you know he's marginally better than Dennis Stever, and the only reason he got here is cuz he talked to Big Game are you effing blind it's just it's just so insane to me that we make the we like the like this debate about whether Conor McGregor is a good fighter is over it is over now how good That's a welcome conversation to have. But that you keep measuring him against the all-time greatest, and you're like, well, he comes up short against that. Yeah, he might. He might. That still means he's an awesome fighter. (laughs) It still means he's an awesome fighter. And I bet you, 2015, he's going to end looking a lot better than he started. I, I don't favor him to beat Aldo. I don't think the idea that he can beat Aldo is really all that crazy. I don't. I really don't. I think he matches up in an interesting way with Jose Aldo. I think some of Jose Aldo's strengths, we know Jose Aldo can handle what the best wrestlers can give him. And to that extent, we don't know if Conor McGregor can. But what we do know is that Conor McGregor striking is good enough to give anybody at 145 fits. Both his power and his delivery. It's just, it's just, you cannot deny this kid anymore. You don't have to like him personally or think what he says is fun and interesting. And that Q&A where his fans got up there and tried to mock his accent was like, well, it was one of the most abhorrent, awful things I've ever seen in my life. Fine. All that can be true. That kid can fight. The debate is over. It is over. Yeah, maybe Frank Yeager should have gotten a title shot. And maybe, I don't know if he can beat Frankie or not. Maybe he can. not Maybe he can. not I don't know. I don't know. We're going to find out. But he is He is all, he is relevant of that tiny narrow of guys. They are all together. Sorry, they just are. They just are. And I think if you want to go out there and you want to say, oh, well, he get, you know, Chad Mendes will put him away in three minutes. I'm like, Chad Mendes might beat him. I'm not saying he can't. I would wager it would take a lot longer than three minutes to do it, if he can even do it. Jones and the NSAC legal action. Yeah, I was wondering about this myself. Uh, Jones said in his interview on Monday he was discussing with his attorneys whether or not he had grounds and uh, wanted to take legal action against the commission. Do you believe now that his post-fight drug test came back clean, that he has legal grounds for the NSAC? I have no capacity to tell you whether or not he has legal grounds, but I noticed he didn't say no when she asked him, hey, do you are you going to take action against the commission? He didn't say no. Said so I'm talking to my manager or my people or my whatever and, and quote my attorneys, attorneys, plural, plural. <laughs> so, uh, might be a rough couple of months here for the NSAC. I mean, I don't know if Vandalay is going to win. And I think, you know, as you know, Vandalay has basically accused them of one, arbitrary punishment to, um, exceeding the jurisdiction. I think that the regulatory code sort of says quite explicitly that only licensees can be, um, you know, subject to penalty for, you know, drug testing protocol, but, uh, I don't know if he's going to win. In fact, I think that asking one arm of the state to turn on another is going to be pretty difficult for anybody to do, much less a mixed martial arts fighter. But uh, which doesn't mean he's wrong. It's just you know the way the world works. But um, be, I am I am curious. I am curious just as much as you are. I, I can't speak to whether or not there's a legal basis, but it's um, interesting, isn't it? big names revival we've already gone into this let's see what the twitter machine has uh at sbn luke thomas do you see world series of fighting lasting until the end of 2015 i guess so um but i don't know Someone says you've come a long way from rally for Frankie Edgar. Yeah, I guess they have, but you know, you, you gotta you gotta accept the accept the facts for who they are, man, or for what they are. It's just you have to. And also, like, I just wasn't convinced about his talent. Maybe back then, I guess I've I've really sort of examined his talent. I'm like, you know what, Kick and fight. Uh, what happened to the ref cam in the UFC? It uh, might be a Fox Sports issue, but I can ask. I don't know. I'll ask. Who's gone fishing in the window behind you? I, don't know, I think those are developers. Super false Rumble versus Gustafson goes to championship rounds. I would say that is true. Um, I still have a feeling that someone gets finished, but I think these guys are are well matched. Um, McGregor versus Seaver was the 22nd most watched sporting event this weekend in Canada. Well, can't speak for Canada, but he was a big hit in the United States. Isn't it funny that fans want fighters to promote like McGregor, but get annoyed that Jones acts fake? Yeah. You know what's funny? Can you imagine if John Jones had like done that to Shogun or something? like hopped out of the cage and got in his face and screamed, y'all would have lost your minds. Now, some of you would have been like, oh, I wouldn't have lost my mind. I wanted him to do that from the beginning. Uh, maybe some of you are like that. I can concede that. A lot of you would have lost your minds. You would have lost your mind completely. So do I think there's a double standard between McGregor and, and, and John Jones? 100%. Uh, would you rather hear annoying Irish songs? <laughs> Or crickets whenever Kane, DJ, Chris Wyman or Aldo fight. There's no crickets when they fight, dog. Sorry. You don't have to uh, hate them and make up things to like Conor McGregor. Uh, why does everyone say that Jones needs to be a role model? Why even let your kid watch this amount of violence? Kind of disturbing. Um, yeah, well, it's up to parents to figure out who is and who isn't a role model for your children. Do you think if Rumble can beat Gustafson, he might have a huge chance against Jones. It depends entirely on how he beats them. If he can really stuff the takedown and neutralize the jab um, and cover distance and sort of physically control Gustafson, then yeah, I would say so. I want to see at what at what distance the striking takes place and what it looks like. What weapons does Anthony Johnson use? He is a big kind of head kick guy, but um, I need to look at his stats, but I don't, he mixes up his strikes really well is what I want to say. I don't want to undersell him. But I do think he favors the boxing range slightly more than the kicking range. And for the kicking range, I think he likes the big movements, but he doesn't like so much the middle and the leg kicks as uh, – I mean, not saying he doesn't do it. He does, but it's just not as much of a key component. He's like a big hit kind of guy, um, but has a little bit more variety with his strikes as it relates to his hands. And I wonder if Jones neutralizes that, what options are left for him. So the question is if Gustin, Gustafson also neutralizes that, How does Rumble Johnson really get there? I mean, there's still some questions about Rumble Johnson. You know, he shut down Phil Davis with great takedown defense, and he blew out Noguera, but he hasn't beaten someone like Gustafson, like a real in-his-prime, top-of-the-food-chain kind of fighter, um, since coming back. And and he he didn't do that in World Series of Fighting either. So he's in a different weight class now, lots of reasons to have enthusiasm about it. I think he's going to give Gustafson a hell of a fight. But this is a fact-finding mission about Rumble Johnson to some degree. You have to admit that. Um, Let's see. What's McGregor's ceiling if he defeats Aldo? Well, if he defeats Aldo striking, then we still don't know. Because th- these wrestling questions, like what I'm trying to tell you about Conor McGregor's ability is a general worldview about his ability. It's about how good is he, do we, do we have enough information to say he is a super elite world-class fighter? Yes, we do. Do we have a complete look at his game? No, we do not. We have a complete look at Jose Aldo's game. He's faced basically more or less McGregor is slightly a different twist, so so we don't quite have like 100% of the answers, but we've got a pretty decent look at, at Jose Aldo's game. Enough to know what he can and can't do for the most part, what he will or won't do for the most part, what he prefers and what he doesn't for the most part. There are some key portions of that as it relates to style matchups for Conor McGregor, we still don't know. So if you have skepticism or at least some interest in seeing that, that's fine, but I just don't think that Mendez and Lamas and Edgar, maybe Edgar a little bit, are going to fight him like Aldo's going to fight him. I think Aldo's going to fight him a little bit different. Aldo's answered all those questions. He beat Lamas. He beat Mendes twice. He beat Edgar. Um, and we know how he did it. So we have, we have a lot of tape on him to understand that. Less so the case with, with, uh, with, um, with uh, McGregor. Also, I would go back and look at that. Uh, I, need to, I need, Before I say definitely do it, I'm going to do it myself but I wonder how similar the Korean zombie fight is. Korean zombie is not the kind of striker that McGregor is, but he does apply a lot of forward pressure and, and, and takes some risks with his striking a little bit, which I think McGregor does as well. Um, might, might be something to take from that. Not saying the fights are going to be equivalent in any kind of way, but maybe that might be the one you want to look at, is how did Aldo respond to that forward pressure. Uh, let's get a couple more in here. Cause we saw a little bit of time left. King Mo heavyweight bout. Do you think going up to heavyweight and finding Congo is a good idea for King Mo? I think it's a great idea for King Mo. I think it's a great idea for Bellator one, shaking it up, making things kind of interesting. Um, two, this will be the fifth time that Mo has fought at heavyweight, fought two times, uh, for I think his first two bouts, then went back to light heavyweight and then fought two more light heavyweight bouts. So I know he'd be like Fabio Silva, Travis view, a couple other guys at heavyweight. So he's done this before. Um, I think that, I think that just lining him up against contenders, given where Mo is in his career, you know, he's thirty-four, a little bit older. I think he's still physically dynamic in some ways, but I just think that this maximizes intrigue while still being reasonably competitive and just bizarre enough to capture your attention. So yeah, I like it a lot. I think these are the kind of, you know, twists and turns that Bellator needs to make to make the product dynamic. I completely applaud it. Listen except this, like you could put a billboard up, you know what I mean? And you could roll it down and you could be like, all it has to say is what Scott Coker does works. End of story. Now he's not perfect, but things like that, he doesn't really get wrong. What Scott Coker does works. Uh, let's see. Someone's asked about the fight cards disappearing, the fight pass cards. So has the UFC completely done away with the fight pass cards? They lured us in with an excellent headliner in Gustafson versus Manoa, I believe, followed by slowly worse and worse fight cards like Nog versus Nelson. Looking forward. I don't see any fights coming up to fight pass. Is this a result of fight pass failing or was it all a trap? I don't think a fight pass is failing, and I don't think that it was a trap. I think that they've rejiggered how they want to align their priorities for content. But uh, I am gonna ask uh, some of the folks involved at Fight Pass at UFC about your question. And like I started off this chat with um, something I got wrong about the the 10 second clock. I will start the next week's chat whatever answer I get there. How's that sound? Because I don't wanna say something out of turn. And they may have good information for me. So I'll just leave it at that. Last question, true, false. Cain Velasquez is fighting in 2015. True. John Jones is defeated in 2015. False. Aldo fights Pettis in 2015. I'll say that is false. Weidman versus Silva 3 will happen in 2015. Unfortunately, I think that's going to be true. Demetrius Johnson will lose his belt in 2015. False. Nick Diaz gets a title shot wherever in 2015. I'll just say that's true for the fun of it. Misha Tate earns a title shot in 2015. I'll say that's false. Cyborg is fighting Rousey in 2015. True. I don't know. Bellator signs Fedor and Lesnar and they fight in 2015. False. CM Punk fights and wins in 2015. I will say that that is true. Now, last week I promised that I would go through and answer these questions that I didn't get to, and I didn't. I will do that this time. I promise. Um, you can tweet me at SBN Luke Thomas. You can email me, hold on now, at luke.thomas at If you email me, Please keep it short. I try to get to all the emails I can. I stay up late answering them. I promise that I do. Some of you guys send me these huge emails. Guys, I'm not even going to read them. I don't have time. I just don't. Make your email you know, two or three tweets maximum in length. Paragraph at the most, at the most. I just don't have time for anything more than that. If it's super serious and you need to, I guess do what you want to do. But if I see a big, long email, I just don't have, to, I don't have time to read it. I don't have time to read it. So I appreciate your emails and you guys reaching out. Condense it. Edit it down. Get it to exactly what you want to ask or say. And I'll try to respond to that. Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. We are out of here, but we're going to have uh, media day coverage for see and Fox 14 right now on the site. And see uh, and Fox 14 coverage all this weekend. Should be a good night of fights. Should be a good set of fights. I'll try to answer some of these questions on the other side. This will be up on iTunes.com slash promotional malpractice very soon. Until next time. Uh, thanks guys. And stay frosty.